Hello. You are listening to PCAST Empowered by PCAL, a podcast highlighting the creative work of our students, staff, and faculty here at the Potter College of Arts and Letters on the beautiful campus of Western Kentucky University in Bowling Green, Kentucky. I'm Terrence Brown, Dean of Potter College of Arts and Letters, and we are so glad you are listening. Thank you for taking some time out of your busy day to connect with our community. I am PCAL. You are PCAL, and we are PCAL. Good afternoon, I'm Katherine Wilson, and I am the coordinator of music education and graduate studies here at Western Kentucky University in the Potter College of Arts and Letters. And today I have with us a guest, and her name is Natalie Tyree. She is the associate professor of graphic design here at Potter College of Arts and Letters, and she is a designer and a maker and an educator, and she focuses on client-based design and mixed media fine art practices. The other thing that she does is really interesting as she explores popular culture themes in her work related to contemporary trends and general generational mindsets. And one of the things I think that she says is really kind of cool is she is an old millennial and her most recent work and research centers specifically on millennials and Generation Z. And her mission is to demystify and mock preconceived notions of those generations. So she is also a fantastic educator here on our campus. How are you doing today, Natalie? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. I'm glad Glad to be here. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks so much for being here. So um, today I, I know we we're going to talk a little bit about the letterpress. So I know that you are very into letterpress. Will you please tell us about the letterpress lab at WKU? Yes. Oh my goodness. So there's a pretty um, pretty long history. I'll try to compact it. But um, you know, letterpress dates back to you know Gutenberg and the days of the printing press and movable type. We actually um, rescued the first press that we got. We rescued from the Industrial Education Building. And it's rumored that that press was used to proof the Herald back in the day. That's what they would use to proof it before they sent it oh, to wow. print. And so I've not been able to find archives of like physical prints from that press, but we have that press and we have the type. And since then, um, that was in 2018 when we brought that press over um, and we were able to get a couple other presses funded by QTAG and RCAP grants. And so now we have... Um, both for my personal research as well as teaching. So we now have on the fourth floor in what used to be an old office, we have a very small but mighty letterpress studio that I use for my own personal uh, creative practice and have since taught uh, letterpress courses in that room as well. Last year was the first test run, and then in spring 24, we're slated to teach the letterpress class again. So, Oh, that is excited. so cool. <laughs> that is really cool. And do you know how many students will be taking that class? Yes, we have. Um, it's capped at 14. That mm -hmm. room can comfortably hold about 10 or 11. So we have to do a lot of kind of moving of people, and we have that we have them. They work in one room, and they set type, and then they come in the studio and actually use the presses. So I had 11 the first time around, and that seemed to be a perfect number, but for 14 based on size of that room I think is all we can accommodate <laughs> you can fit them okay yeah I, I have but we have questions. people on the wait list too so that's exciting that is really exciting yeah. okay so a couple of ignorant questions yeah. here never having worked with letterpress yeah. before does it get hot 
Um, no, not particularly. I mean, it gets warm in that room just because, you know, the, the air the flow. The people in the motion. Yeah, the and, people. Yeah. Um, but as far as letterpress, the machines are man-powered. All of our, none of our equipment is electrical. Um, some of the letterpress equipment has motors and it can get warm because it generates heat from the motors. But mm-hmm. I made the point when we were sourcing the shop um, to not get anything that has an electric motor. Just because with a safety issue and if you've got a student with their hands in a press and they accidentally turn it on, like, uh-huh. you know, so everything that we have is human powered so the the first press the first press that we have that we got from industrial ed that's a chandler and price press and it actually has a treadle uh-huh. that you push so it's foot powered and you motorize it and it starts to make the prints and then the other presses that we have you just roll a cylinder back and forth and it makes the impression on the type so it doesn't get too hot in there usually um, except for the amount of bodies and just the, the airflow in that room. <laughs> so when you're setting the press, what do you have to do? So everything is manual. Everything is by hand. So mm-hmm. when you're on, and that's where the design students, we have design and printmaking students that come over and take the course. Um, the design students, they're used to just downloading a font and setting their type digitally. But you actually have to go to the case mm-hmm. and get the physical font mm-hmm. and, and the letters that are wood or metal. Mm-hmm. And you have to set that. You have to manually set your spacing Mm -hmm. and then depending on the press that you're using you have to manually um, lock your type up and Uh with some of the presses you have to lock that up in a frame and if you pick that frame up and it's not locked up your type can fall out and you have to start all over oh that would not <laughs> so, be fun so it's a it's a and a lot of our presses some of them are flat are flat beds so you just set the type in there but you still have to lock it up to prevent it to moving from moving when you're printing so mm-hmm. everything is extremely analog and you have to do everything by hand so i think um, that's where the students first, they, they either love it or hate it after they've done it a couple of times. But at the end, they've all said that they appreciate the process, even if they're like, I don't think I'd ever take that class again because it's too analog for me. But I appreciate, you know, this process that's been around for years that like, you know, this is how print and deliverables started was uh-huh. folks printing by hand. So I think the analog aspect of it is you have to be thoughtful. You have to be methodical. And, you know, once you print, if you want to make changes, you have to go back and kind of redo all that. So it really makes students think about what they're doing before they get into it, which when you're on a computer, it's fairly low risk. You can just get in there and tool around until mm-hmm. your until your heart's desired. But with this, you have to really think about it more. Yeah, I mean, and it can happen really fast on a computer. But this, it sounds like there is a lot of preparation work before you actually print something. Yes. Um, so... <laughs> What is the difference when you look at it in terms of a, you know, a piece of art or something? How does it look different than a digital, um, than something that is digitally printed? Oh, man, there's there's such a difference. Um, first of all, uses uses a slightly different paper mm-hmm. um, than you do for digital prints. So the tactile nature of it, the paper has more fiber to it. It's a little beefier. Um, even if it's not thicker, you can still visibly see the texture once you've printed on it. And if you touch the paper, you can feel it. Um, depending on the impression that you use and the thickness of the paper, when you look close, you can actually see the indention of the letters. So it, oh, wow. it won't emboss it per mm-hmm. se, and you don't want to put that much pressure on it. You just want the letters to kiss the page. Mm. Um, ideally but sometimes you'll get a little bit of impression a little bit of give and so you get to see like if you flip the page over you can see where the letters press ever so slightly um, hopefully not through the paper because if mm-hmm. so you're not doing something right uh-huh. but you can see the tactile nature of it and so for example some of the type that we have 
as wood type that came over with that press oh, and wow. and some of it might have a little nick in it or a scratch or if somebody dropped it and so you get to see the characteristics of each of those letter forms and if it's not just perfect mm-hmm. like there might be if the ink doesn't roll completely because the letters aren't all the same height there might mm-hmm. be that slight difference visually in the distribution so there's a visual texture to it as well as a physical texture and students just get really excited when they see the first thing roll off the press even if it's not like a perfect print ideal you know per se if it's mm-hmm. not textbook perfect they get so excited when they see like what they put in the press actually print and that's that's super fun to watch but it's for me it's the tactile nature of uh-huh. it like even if you don't physically make the print if you just understand how it was made you can appreciate what you're looking at more well i think the tactile nature of it would be really neat there this is making me think of three things number one stamping mm-hmm. it's making me think of stamping oh, to some degree but exactly you know, yeah. a little bit but you have to line them all up yeah it sounds like for this and the other one is old typewriters how you could feel the back side of the paper mm-hmm. on a manual typewriter and then the third thing is when you look at really old books and the paper like really really old books and the paper is much beefier and mm-hmm. you can see more of the characteristics of the letters so how you were talking about the um about the age of the machines. How old is the oldest machine approximately that we have here? The oldest one that we have is the CMP that we pulled out of the basement. Um, and shout out to Greg Arbuckle, who, who was like, hey, if that machine's here, when the building eventually goes down, the machine's going with it. So we mm-hmm. saved it. <laughs> so Good. thanks, Greg, for connecting us with the with the press. Um, but that CMP, I've, I've looked at the serial number on it. And I can't get the exact date, but that is a Chandler Price new style, and Mm -hmm. it's circa 1920. Oh, wow. Yeah, even though it's the new style, it's circa 1920. So So the new style, but it's over 100 years old. Yeah, exactly, which is really cool. And the the other ones were made like in the 60s and 70s. So they're they're still older, but Mm -hmm. not as old as, as the CMP. So in what ways do people use letter presses today? It seems like in the past they used them for everything everything that was printed but how do we use them today well a lot of folks um it's kind of had a resurgence in the last 10 to 15 years um and the cool thing about uh letter presses is that people aren't making those machines anymore we're not manufacturing those machines so the letter press community in general is about the heritage of the machines and, and restoring them and keeping them working because they're mm-hmm. just mechanical. As long as you, you know, keep it oiled and you keep the parts on it and you make sure that you're using it and the machine's actually moving and working frequently, those machi- machines will last forever as long as they're cared for. And I think that's one of the reasons it's come back. Folks have like started to mess around with them again. Um, about 10 to 15 years ago, um, wedding stationery that was letterpress became mm-hmm. pretty popular and there were a lot of shops doing wedding invitations, but now um, show posters are still a big mm-hmm. thing. We have hat show print in Nashville and there's um, in Muncie, there's Tribune show print. Those are two of the big three letterpress shops that were like back in the heyday of letterpress printing. Two of three of those are still up and running. And uh-huh. I think it's cool that one's in Nashville and one's in Muncie, Indiana. And they're making show posters right and left. Um, Brad Vetter, who was actually a student in our department, um, graduated many, many years ago. He has his own shop in Nashville. Oh, wow. Or not Nashville, uh, Louisville. It's uh-huh. Brad, Brad Vetter Design. And he that's mostly 
his clientele is show posters. He's done everything from Chris Stapleton to Shawn Mendes, and then he's done other like specialty jobs. Like he designs some letterpress printed wine labels, mm-hmm. and um, posters are still really like the big kind of bread and butter for anyone uh-huh. who is like working professionally in letterpress. That just sounds really, really cool. So you teach a letterpress course. What are students going to be learning in that letterpress course? Yeah, um, last year they were my guinea pigs because that was the that was the first course that the first time we'd ran the special topics in letterpress class. But I've since then learned a lot. Um, but they they learn each machine. So they come in, um, they learn each how to print on each press, and they learn. Um, the strengths and weaknesses of each press some of them can do certain sizes some of them like can do smaller items better some of them are more optimized for posters if you're printing more than one color um, there's a couple of presses that are more automated that are better suited for that so they learn kind of like what am I printing which should I print it on which press should I print it on and how should I print it um, and then from there we get a little bit more conceptual the first project they do is a collaborative project uh-huh. where just to get an of a run-in they work in small teams and it's the volume project uh-huh. so they do the loud layer with the wood type which is usually larger and bolder and then they do the quiet layer um, with the metal type and so they learn the strengths and weaknesses of printing with the metal type versus the wood type mm-hmm. um, and then they do a third layer together that kind of brings everything together and so they set the type together as a group they print as a group and then by after two or three class periods they've printed a series of posters together as a group so and that's that when they do that the first time um, they usually try to do a really complicated lockup uh-huh. <laughs> and and I'm like remember guys you're gonna you have to set this by hand and lock mm-hmm. it up and mm-hmm. and but they still just go in and then later they figure out how to actually like get it in the press so it'll print so that's really fun to watch is I just kind of sat there and I'm like you know you're gonna have to print this but they figure it out and it's fun to watch them figure it out as a team one way or another they figure it out yes do they get to keep some of the things that they made they do yes so usually we do have them do a run if there's you know 11 or 14 folks in the class your your minimum number of prints is how many people's in the class that way if uh-huh. folks want to swap or if they want to trade and keep others work they can or that's they... a really good idea yeah <laughs> i mean i would like to i would like to keep if I were taking a class like that, I think I would want to keep the, the funner stuff, the yeah. cooler stuff. I just okay. really would. Um, how can students, do they have to be art majors to take this class, or can anybody take it? Or how um, do they, I know you said there was a waiting list before. Um, there, how do they there is take a, it? There is a waiting list right now. I think there's a couple of folks on there. Um, it's a special topics class for us. Ideally, um, you're an art student, but it doesn't technically have any prereqs as mm-hmm. long as you're interested. I mean, you know, I don't know if we would have room to allow like a ton of extra folks in the course, but if someone had a general interest and uh-huh. just wanted to learn, um, and they like kind of knew what to expect in the class as far as like the workload and like, Hey, this is going to, you know, it's a studio class that are, you know, those are three hours, two days a week. So sometimes that's time wise, you know, a little bit of a commitment for mm-hmm. people, especially getting used to working in that type of environment for that long. But, but it goes by fast. Um, but yeah, if anybody was seriously interested, I'm also, 
um, interested in just having like a pop-up event if folks wanted to come learn about the letterpress. I'm always trying to get folks in there. <laughs> I, I would come to a pop-up event. Yay. I would do that. Well, I keep trying to get Dean Brown in there, so maybe we can. This is your, it's your call, Dean Brown. We can have a pop-up in the letterpress room. <laughs> we need, it sounds like there's some really, really great machines in there, and I've always been fascinated by mechanical things that even if the whole internet crashes, they're still going to be available and ready to go. We're not used to it, so it would yeah. be a lot of work for us, yeah. but you know, say the zombie apocalypse happens or something, <laughs> we still have letterpress. Right. Yeah, it'll still, work. still print stuff, yeah. Um, what I was going to ask you, so you do work, generational work, mm -hmm. in um, millennials and Gen Z, and have you used some letterpress in some of your work with these kinds of memes? Yeah, I have. Um, uh, so the first uh, body of work that I started, that kind of started the whole thing, was the hashtag Millennial Problems series. And that's an ongoing poster series. I kind of like paused it, and I'm going to pick back up with it at some point. But it's currently like 10-plus poster series where there's uh, tweets that are hashtagged with the hashtag Millennial Problems. Mm -hmm. And I take the tweets, sometimes depending on how many fonts I have and the words, I have to tweak them just a little bit, but I try to keep the phrase pretty true to form. Um, some of them are my tweets. I don't disclose which ones are mine. I try to stay confidential. And some of them are just source tweets from friends mm -hmm. um, and other folks. But I find the irony in taking the tweet um, that's very digital, quick uh -huh. communication, and, you know, laboriously printing them by hand mm -hmm. on a letterpress. I think for part, of, part of my work, I like to have, like, irony or humor in my work some type of way. Mm -hmm. And for me, that's just a really subtle joke. It's like I'm printing this tweet by hand with a machine that, like, predates any of this. So It's really ironic. <laughs> it is really ironic. But I bet there's a therapeutic aspect to it. Yes, very much so. Um particularly with the detail-oriented, you know, making sure that you have your letters flipped the right way. And because mm -hmm. the moment you flip an E the wrong direction, you notice it very quickly once you print it. So, you know, you have to go in and correct those mistakes or any particular letter um, that you would think is unassuming that's pretty easy to flip and you don't even realize it. So paying attention to those things, um, making sure that words are spelled correctly uh -huh. because, you know, you might be missing a letter and if you print a typo 20 times, you still have that typo 20 times. Oh, my goodness. Unless you go back and, and you know, add it back in. So it's really interesting to me that when you're doing it, the, that's all you can think about, literally, because as you said, if you flip a letter the wrong way, if you misspell something, there is no spell check and there is no autocorrect. You have to just be literally very engaged in what you're doing at the moment, which in a way would really be nice. You could kind of forget about the various troubles of the world while you are engaged in this letterpress activity. Yeah, it's really meditative, kind of, if that makes mm -hmm. any sense, especially mm -hmm. once you get to printing. It's a pretty repetitive process. You mm -hmm. just, you know, if you're printing on um, the cylinder press, you, you put the type in there, you ink it up, and you roll it back and forth, and you just, it, you put your paper in, you roll it, and it's a very repetitive process. And once, you know, getting it set up is the biggest pain in the butt but mm -hmm. once you get it to where everything's running right everything mm -hmm. looks good you can just let it rip and that's like when you kind of get into that flow state of just that repetitive motion uh -huh. with however many prints you're making and then you you clean the press you clean the type you put it all back and then you come back and do it again later <laughs> and then there's the beauty of your finished product yes. 
I was going to ask you, what are some of the benefits of learning this skill? I imagine, I imagine there are job benefits, but I imagine there are also psychological benefits. Yeah, we have, um, you know, at minimum, it helps, you know, particularly from the teaching perspective, it helps the students understand type history, mm-hmm. helps them understand, you know, just like in Photoshop, when you're in a dark room, some of the, the things that you would do in a dark room are now mm-hmm. in Photoshop, like dodge and burn in a dark room is, mm-hmm. is slightly different than it is in Photoshop, but the tools are still there. Yes. And um, the type tools that we use in our digital design programs are the same way, mm-hmm. but you're just manually doing it when you're in the letter press shop. Um, and I've, I've seen students, uh, particularly in the letterpress class, it's new and they get to just experiment. Mm-hmm. Um, even if it's frustrating for them, they still get to um, express themselves because the projects that we have are usually fairly open and they can come up with a concept, they can communicate, and they get to use words to mm-hmm. do that, whether it's something super serious or if it's something funny, um, like one of the projects we have is a conversational coaster. Uh-huh. And so you're printing on a three inch coaster and mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of real estate and you have to figure out what could you put on this coaster to start a conversation uh-huh. if it was at a dinner party or at a restaurant. And so some of them, they get really serious and conceptual about it. And other ones, they just put like really funny quotes from movies or, you know, whatever. So getting to see them have that element of play, mm-hmm. whereas with design, it's serious it's structured it's on the computer there's systems you know that also exists in letterpress but they're so interested in the tactile experience they kind of get lost in it and Mm -hmm. that's that's really fun to see them do that well it sounds like you could make friends too because this is a physical thing and people are taking taking elements of it and moving back and forth and Mm -hmm. getting them in place and probably using each other to check the work oh yeah for sure like hey can you spell check this or or, hey are you or when you're done with that w i need it because we we don't have a ton of (laughs) ton of fonts in our cases up there so they they have to share it's really it really does build community because it's a small space in general but then they have to really think about communicating with each other on who's using something or who's sharing something and you know the flow of what's coming next and the, the coming and going of everything and that's um that community piece of it in any print shop um that's why i love our our print shop that we have upstairs uh-huh. um, our relief printing shop uh with Marilee salvatore i love going in there because there's such a great community uh-huh. um, amongst the printmakers and the letterpress studio is just across the hall so i can kind of go in there and hang out with them <laughs> and that's all fun yeah if people want to see your work where should they look oh my goodness um i have an instagram i'm not good about updating it um but I do have some of my work on, if you look up Entire Design on Instagram, that's some of my work. Like I said, I update it about every three months. I got to get better at that. <laughs> but, um, it's just a little bit busy. Yeah, some of my, yeah, just a little bit. You know, teaching, service, scholarship, mm-hmm, you know, yeah. that, that whole thing. Um, and then personal life, you know, trying to have one of those too. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you can go there. And then I also have um, a website that actually is fairly up to date, um, more up to date than Instagram, and that's entiree.com. And occasionally I'll have local or regional exhibitions and we try to advertise those um, in the department. So yeah, that's where, where my work lives mostly. Um, I do a little bit of video and I'm trying to get into AR work and some mm-hmm. of those videos are on my YouTube page, but those are also on my website. Okay. So you have a YouTube page as yeah. well. Yeah. So if students are more interested in this, they can contact you, yes? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I will make a a shameless plug for um, our design uh, certificate. We recently um, established, we still have a graphic design minor, but if anyone's interested in graphic design and wants to get just a bare kind of 
practice experience and just a little flavor of graphic design with their degree program or if they want to come back and they're interested in pursuing the design certificate we have a, a 15 hour certificate um, that folks can take it's great to pair with any any major any minor whatever um, if you're interested feel free to contact me um, about that and thanks again so they could be majoring even in engineering, but get a graphic design, a 15-hour graphic design certificate. Yes, and we used to just have the minor, and it was a little bit longer, and it's kind of mm-hmm. harder for folks to fit in with some of their majors that mm-hmm. are more credit hours. And the certificate, because it's a little lighter, I call it like a survey of graphic uh-huh. design. You get a nice little flavor of everything from the design buffet that we have to that we have to offer on the fourth floor in FAC. Um, and yeah, we've had folks from all over now that we've established the certificate just because they understand the value and having those basic design skills and that knowledge paired with anything that they do so if you think that graphic design can't benefit you let's talk about that because I guarantee you there's overlap and correlation somewhere so they're going to be they'll acquire some practical skills there yes yes practical skills um we'll teach you the adobe creative suite we'll teach you basic type skills and then there's a couple upper level courses that you can choose from based on what you're interested in so illustration package design layout design just whatever you want to get more skills in wow that's wonderful natalie thank you so much for being on our podcast this afternoon we really appreciate your time thank you again great to be here and to all our listeners we say bye bye thanks everybody Thank you again for joining us for PCAST Empowered by PCAL. We hope you will join us for future podcasts. PCAL is home to the visual and performing arts, the humanities, media, and the social sciences. Our departments include art and design, communication, English, folk studies and anthropology, history, modern languages, music, political science, sociology and criminology, theater and dance, and as well as the school of media. If you would like more information about our programs, please visit us online at wku.edu backslash PCAL. From our entire PCAL community, we extend our warmest wishes for a wonderful and fulfilling day.